we're going to be turning back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 11 to 13. And Brother Fisher, I think I wrote the wrong verses down. I, I wrote down that we stopped last week at verse 8, and we actually carried on through 10. I wrote it down because I didn't know how far I was going to get. Uh, but we're looking at verses 11 to 13 this week. And if I were to title it, it's Paul's title is, Take Heed to Your Ministry. And we're going to continue that thought next week. I have to break it in half because I don't have enough time to cover it all. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 11, goes like this. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity... Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, we do thank you for giving us another day to worship and to serve you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it gives. As Paul's encouraging Timothy, we can use the same words to encourage ourselves. Your word is timeless. Thank you for the lessons that are in it. Please help your Holy Spirit to show us what lessons you have for us. Help us to apply them to our lives and help us to change our lives to fit that lesson. We ask all that in your name. Amen. So as I say today, we're going to begin to look at a section where Paul's giving Timothy some standing orders, if you want to look at it that way. We're going to take two weeks to cover it, and it's going to take us to the bottom of chapter 4. In the next five verses, we're going to, take, uh, we're going to cover three today. In the next five verses, there's seven separate commands. Seven separate commands. That's a lot of commands in five verses. And each one of them is good for us to keep in mind, even today in 21st century Surrey, New Hampshire. Paul was giving them to Timothy in 1st century Ephesus, but they're good for you and me in 21st century Surrey. So what are, how does he kick off? Uh, verse 11, he says, These things command and teach. By the way, command and teach are two very fundamental duties of somebody in the pastoral role. As, pastor, uh, as Paul is talking to Timothy about this is how you uh, fulfill this role as a pastor in Ephesus, this is what you're doing is commanding and teaching. That's two aspects. And by the way, if we go back to chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, as Paul was discussing the uh, pastoral role, he said that these are two things that women are not allowed to do in the church commanding or teaching, specifically called out. This word translated as command is a form of the Greek word parangelo. Parangelo. It means something that is an absolute necessity. If you're a military type, this is an order. This is not a suggestion. This is an order. Something that must be done, absolutely has to take place. Some Bibles will translate it as instruct, these things instruct, or they'll use some other weaker word, but it loses that absolute necessity. This is a command from a commanding officer 
to an inferior, inferior person. Paul is definitely trying to get that concept across here. It's very, very strong language, very, very clear. We're talking about an order, not a suggestion. So what is it? <clears throat> uh, well, before we get to what this command is, commanding isn't the only thing that Timothy needs to do with this information. He needs to teach them as well. Command, yes, make sure that this is an absolute order, but teach too. You see, these things that Paul has just laid out to Timothy that we've looked at for the last uh, three chapters, these things Paul's laid out, he needs to command and to teach to the folks in Ephesus. And these commands need to come down in a form that the people can understand. That's what the teaching is. They need to come down in a form that they can understand and they can put into practice in their lives and in their various church gatherings. Remember, as I pointed out, we've pointed this out many, many times, I'm going to continue doing it, there wasn't a First Baptist Church of Ephesus where everybody came together and met. That's not how it worked. And Timothy showed up there on a Sunday and on a Wednesday night for prayer meeting and things like that. That's not how it happened. Every day, there was a group met here, and then across town, there was a group of six or eight or a dozen that met here, and then on the next day, there was another group of six or eight or a dozen that met over here, and Timothy was zigzagging all over town, maybe multiple times a day, as pastoring these groups. That's how it worked. That's how it worked, by the way, for about the first thousand years of church history. Uh, it's only relatively recently that we've all congregated together in one group. Uh, anyway, these commands come down in a form that the people need to understand and they need to put it there into practice in their churches. See, Timothy is just one disciple in a long line of disciples of Christ, just as you and I are too. Just as Paul was a disciple of Christ, just as Timothy was a disciple of Paul and by proxy a disciple of Christ, you and I are the same thing. We all share the same duty to teach the same truths down through the ages, you see. That's why I'm looking back to what Paul wrote to Timothy uh, 2,000 years ago, and we're taking lessons from it. That's what making disciples really means, you see. It's more than just checking off a list it's more than working through a, a system. Well, you've, you've worked through our discipleship plan. You're, you're, you're now officially a disciple. That's, it's more than that. It's showing through lifestyle, teaching, and showing disciplines. That's what disciple means. Showing the disciplines that it takes to be a follower of Christ. Showing other believers how they need to live. Not working through a checklist. So, moving along. Verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. See, this is how he's going to teach the disciples. This is how he's going to disciple, by being an example to them. Not walking them through a checklist, but being an example See, Paul's making this absolutely clear. He gives uh, two more commands here in verse 12. The first applies to him personally. 
regarding some people's perception of his age. Let no man despise thy youth, he says. <clears throat> now, Timothy, at this time, is probably in his early 30s. Like he did some simple math. He first started hanging around with Paul around AD 50. We see that in Acts chapter 16. I'm not going to back up and look at that. Acts chapter 16, if you want to see when Timothy started hanging out with Paul, about AD 50, Acts chapter 16. Now it's about 65 AD or so, right around there, 64, 65, somewhere like that. So it's about 15 years later. So he's uh, assuming that he started hanging out with Paul around 20. He's now probably under 35, somewhere right around that ballpark. Some people have a hard time learning from some people who aren't of a certain age, right? You expect a little bit of gray hairs. One guy that I used to work with in Markham and Keene said, you got to have sidewalls before people start listening to you. Uh, <clears throat> you know? Well, putting, thinking about that, by the time Jesus was in his mid-30s, he was dead. By the time Jesus was in his mid-30s, he was dead, but I still learn from him every single day. See, this is a very real trap that people can pretty easily fall into. By the way, uh, I talked to you about Charles Spurgeon last time we were together. Charles Spurgeon started his preaching career at the age of 16. I preached my first sermon at 18. Uh, I don't think any of us would call Charles Spurgeon any kind of a slouch either. In fact, he died relatively young, but that's beside the point. But back to Timothy. Paul tells him not to let anybody despise him for his youth. So let's think about that, and let me ask you a question. How in the world can you enforce a question like that, a command like that? How can you enforce that? Well, don't you despise me uh, because I'm young. You, you really can't. I can't control how somebody thinks about me, can I? I have no control over what you think of me. So what can Timothy do to enforce this? Well, if we look at the rest of the verse, we kind of see that the point is Timothy is going to earn their respect by his way of living, by his discipleship plan, if you will. That's what we just finished talking about from chapter 11. He lives in a way that people cannot help but to respect him. See, Paul's confident that Timothy is capable of living that godly lifestyle, which is going to make his age irrelevant. Anybody who says, wow, you're listening to that young guy, what does Timothy know? He hasn't been down the road long enough. Yeah, but let's take a look at how he lives his life. That's basically what Paul's saying. See, Paul's actually trying to stir up Timothy's self-confidence here a little bit. So, let's look at it. The way Timothy can keep people from despising his youth is by being an example to the believers. Being an example to the believers. The word example here is the Greek word tupas. We've said that, pointed that out many, many times. It's tupas. And then Paul lists six areas where Timothy can be an example of what a good believer looks like. First of all, in word, he says. Be a good example in word. That's logos in the Greek. Did you know 
that words are important for Christians? What you say, what you write, what you put in an email, what you put in a text, the way we communicate is critically important, especially for a pastor. A pastor is supposed to be one who preaches and teaches, right? How do you do that? Through words. Through words. It's happening through words. The importance of words cannot be overestimated. Words in everyone's life. Your life, my life, all of our lives. That's true whether the, the pastor's in the pulpit or if he's in his daily walk going, picking up groceries. It doesn't matter. Jesus has to say that speech is kind of the barometer of the heart. Remember what Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 34 says? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. If all I'm hearing in your conversation is about football stats and NASCAR uh, rankings and whatever, that, whatever it may be that's coming out of your mouth, I know that that's what's in your heart. But if I'm hearing you talk about how good God was to you today or ways that you were blessed and I'm hearing that in all your conversation, then I know what's in your heart. A love for God is in your heart. That's what Jesus was saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. See, Timothy needs to have that purity of heart that David spoke about. Let's go to Psalms. We've got lots of time. Psalm 51, particularly verse 10. You know the verse. I'm just going to remind you about it. That's really all I do up here anyway. Psalm 51, verse 10. And you know, that's true about any kind of preaching, is it's really not so much about teaching you new things as reminding you things you already know. Psalm 51, verse 10. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, David knows that if he has a clean spirit, then the words that are going to come out are going to be clean as well. That's what Jesus was saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's a second thing uh, that Timothy can lead by example. He, we've already looked at in word, in conversation. In conversation. Timothy needs to be an example in conversation. Well, isn't that the same thing as words, Brother Dan? Isn't that the same thing? No. In Old King James English, conversation refers to your conduct, how you live your life. It's not so much conversation. Our conduct as Christians ought to be exemplary. Not good. Well, he's a pretty good person. No. Ought to be an example of no matter who you are, that guy is, that is an example of somebody that we should live for. That's how we ought to live our lives. And that should be even more true in the life of a pastor. It should be true in all of our lives, but it should be even more true in the life of a pastor. They need to be blameless in their conduct. We've already seen that, chapter 2, chapter 3. Uh, I'm not going to beat that. Then he moves on, and he gives another, another area. In charity... That word, by the way, is agape. Timothy needs to show that self-sacrificing love that God has. That's what agape means. I give up part of myself because I love you so much. It's not about what I want to do. 
In fact, it may be what I don't want to do, but it's for your benefit. Again, this ought to be true in the lives of all Christians, just as Paul wrote so eloquently about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Don't make me read that either. You're familiar with it. Go ahead and look at it yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You want to see what agape love looks like? There it is. Fourth aspect. In spirit. Now, i got to tell you right up front, some Bibles leave that part right out. And there's absolutely no reason to do that. If it's missing from your Bible, there was no reason for spirit to not be there. Uh, It's in every text that's out there. Christians certainly ought to be exemplary in their spiritual lives as well, hadn't they? Pastors, again, should be even more so. They ought to be spiritual, right? Remember, we are what the world is looking to for spirituality, whatever they may call it. Even if they don't know what to call it, they may not even realize that what they're looking for. You've all heard it before. I, I know I've heard it several times. Sometimes they're like, well, aren't you a spiritual? Or more often you'll hear, aren't you a religious person? You've heard it, right? You're a religious person, right? Well, let me ask you this. If you're not living in a spiritual or religious manner, then you're never going to have that opportunity. Because that's a wide open door. You are, you're a religious person. Let me ask you. You don't get a more wide open door than that. And if you're not living in the proper way, you're never going to get that opportunity. Fifthly, he says, in faith. Now, the Greek word we've mentioned many, many, many times as we've gone through 1 Timothy. This word for faith is pistis. In other places, like Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, we see, I don't have to look there, I'm just going to make a point here. Galatians 5 and verse 6, we see Paul make a connection between faith and love. In fact, I challenge you to go through the New Testament and see how many times faith is paired up with love. Go check that out. That's well worth your study. It's difficult for people to assess our level of faith unless they measure it by how we show our love. Right here we see it. Faith is right side by side with Charity, which we just finished looking at. Faith and love. You see, love is just faith in action. Love is just faith in action, you see. Um, If you aren't a self-sacrificing, loving person, then I know that your level of faith is pretty low, too. Only by being a faithful person follower of Christ, are you going to show that self-sacrificing life with any consistency? Faith and love are paired together. They always are. And sixth, in purity. The Greek word here is hagnia. Hagnia. And we'll see this uh, described in more detail. Hang on to that word. We're going to look at it again when we get to chapter 5 and verse 2. We're about to get there in probably two weeks. So think about Hagnia. If you want to look at purity, you want to do a study of purity, we're going to be talking about that more in a couple of weeks. The purity that's spoken of is almost always used in reference to chastity or sexual purity, Hagnia. All of us as Christians 
ought to live sexually pure lives. All of us, most especially pastors. This is a very real threat because hardly a day goes by when I don't read in one outlet or another of some pastor being caught in sexual sin. I don't even have to look for it. Hardly a day goes by without me finding it. It's probably the number one killer of pastoral ministries. Probably the number one killer of pastoral ministry. It's something seriously to pay attention to, and it's a good tip for all of us. So if Timothy is exemplary in all these areas, then he is going to have the respect of other believers in the church. And by the way, that's more what Paul's talking to him. Don't let the people in the church despise your youth. But if you're living that way, you're going to have the respect of the world outside as well. They're going to recognize things in you. No one's going to be able to despise his youth legitimately. Go ahead, Diane. You have something? And it's, just, it's no different today. It's no different today. We live in a corrupt world today, and that's why we need to be such an example. I've, I've been reading myself in Genesis, and I was struck again by something we've all looked at. God's looking down at the world. He sees that the whole world's corrupt, like we've just finished describing, just like we see around us today. And God looks at Noah, and he says, And there's a guy who's upright in all of his ways. There's nothing wrong. He's living the way you and I ought to be living. In this corrupt world, God should be able to look down and say, there's Diane, upright in all of her ways. That is Dan, upright in all of his ways. That's how it ought to be. It isn't, but that's how it ought to be. How long should this be hanging out? Uh, Verse 13, till I come. Uh, Paul says, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. So Paul's still intending to come and visit Timothy. You may or may not remember, way back in chapter 1, Paul said, hey, Timothy, I'm writing this to you because I don't know how long it's going to be before I can come and meet you. Paul was in jail at the time. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get out. He did get out. Uh, But anyway, uh, he only got out briefly, then he was... Uh, thrown in the clink again. He wrote 2 Timothy, and he didn't get out that time. Anyway, I'm not here to give a biography of Paul. Paul's still intending to come and visit Timothy in Ephesus. But until that point, he wants him to pay attention to three more disciplines. We've already looked at a whole bunch of them. Uh, We've looked at six six so far. He wants three more before before he comes and visits. First of all, these disciplines is the reading of Scripture. Uh, and if you're looking into the Greek phrase there, this is public reading. This is public reading. Uh, by the way, this was an, we'll do a little church history here. 
This was an early church practice that came over from Jewish synagogue days where people would have a portion of the service devoted to just reading God's word. Just flip it open and we're going to start reading. They would, they would, it wasn't as random as that. They would have a reading schedule and they would read a portion. Why? There weren't that many copies of the Bible, for one thing. They were all handwritten. Not until the printing press, which is a relatively modern invention in human history. They, you've got a Bible. I've got a Bible. We've all got a Bible in our hands. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. Grab it. These people didn't have that. The only re Bible reading that they got, Diane and I just talked about, she's in Psalms, I'm in Genesis. Uh, we've got the privilege of having a Bible. I can go home, I'm going to read it this afternoon. These folks didn't have that. They got their Bible reading when somebody brought the scroll out and said, we're going to read here, and they would read. And they would read for a long section of time. That, that carried on into the church. They started in the Jewish synagogues. It continued into the church. People would have a portion of the service. They'd read. The, no preaching, no singing, no just reading. Just take God's word for what it is. We're just going to read it. Usually, out of that larger passage that was read, someone would preach on a small portion of it. We see Jesus doing that. If you go to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 27, that's Jesus' sermon, one of Jesus' only sermons that's recorded in the synagogue. That's a good practice, and some churches still follow that. There are some churches in the area that still follow that. They read a large section, and they preach out of a smaller section within the middle. It's not a bad practice. What it does for you is it helps you get a greater context of the passage. You understand what's happening before and after the section that you're preaching on, and you don't have to have a whole lot of introduction to the preaching. You just The introduction is the Bible reading. Oh yes, I remember where I was last week, and you jump right in. It makes the preaching a little more effective. Simply let God's word speak for itself, but I'm digressing a little bit. Second thing that Paul wants Timothy to focus on is exhortation. Well, that's preaching. That's preaching. And the Greek word here is parakalesis. Parakalesis. This would be preaching that's based on the scripture reading that we just finished talking about. We have our scripture reading. This is the preaching that happens. And this preaching is supposed to be of a sort. Parakalesis is the kind that exhorts, that builds up, that encourages. And that's very important. And it's sometimes hard to get, isn't it? Preaching that encourages. Sometimes all preaching does is beat you down when you really need to be built up. I don't know about you, but my daily humdrum work through the week beats me down enough. I don't need any more beating down on a Sunday. I need to be built back up. I desperately need some uplifting. The world beats me up enough. I come here for uplifting. And the third thing that Paul wants Timothy to focus on is doctrine. And that uh, Greek word is didaskalia. Didaskalia. I hope you see that these three things that we've looked at are intertwined. Reading, public reading of God's word, exhortational preaching, and doctrine. They're so entwined that I would even go so far as to say that they are inseparable. You can't break them apart. 
reading God's word without further instruction is incomplete. An exhortation without doctrine is just a pep rally. We have churches in the area that just do that. We need to be able to take each aspect, reading of God's word, exhortation, encouragement, and doctrine, and we need to blend them together into perfect harmony. That's what we need to do. No pastor, by the way, can do that perfectly. But the Holy Spirit can guide if we are in tune with Him. And it should all come together in a perfect balance. And that's what Paul needs Timothy to do until he comes to see him. And by the way, it's good advice for all of us. That's where I'm going to break it off. We're going to look at uh, verses 14 to 16 next time. So if you want to study ahead of me, that's where we're going to be. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. We'll talk about that next week. If you don't mind, I'd like to close this off in a word of prayer.